Mind Your Mentals podcast is meant to help you name, identify, and understand the disorders that are prevalent in our society. We also strive to help you to understand the science behind the disorders and also understand what it may mean for you, your life, and your loved ones. The concept of mental health is way too broad and ambiguous, and so Mind Your Mentals podcast is here to help you demystify, untangle, and overall just simplify the entire process. Mental health is far from an easy topic, but yo, trust us, we got you. So make sure that you tune in every other Sunday to go on a new journey with Tim, Mal, and their featured guests. Yo, check it. This is the Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. Tune in, check in, subscribe, but mostly Mind Your Mentals. Yo, 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 what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. Excited as always today to connect with Tim, but also to connect with our guest. Um, before we get to our guest, though, Tim, how's everything with you, man? How's life on your end? Ah, oh, man, busy, very, very busy, uh, but it's a good busy. Um, you know, work is good, family's good, yeah. uh, you know, learning is good, so I uh, just just feel very blessed, feel very blessed and yeah. and, and tired too at the same time. <laughs> very tired. That comes with the territory, right? When yes, you're busy, man, you're usually going to be tired. Yep. Um, and folks that don't know, it's going to be Dr. Tim real soon. So Tim is out here putting that work in, man. Uh, I'm proud of you, brother. I'm happy for you too. Um, and so I wanted to go ahead and throw it right back to you so that you can introduce our guest as well. Yes, yes, thank you. So um, we're very excited to have our guest um, today, Dr. Tanya Tinsley. Um, Dr. Tinsley is a uh, practitioner in, in the mental health field uh, for for a long time, actually. Just a uh, just has been an advocate, a, a an ambassador for his work in different spaces, and we'll get into that a little bit. But I want to give a little bit of uh, Dr. Tinsley's background, if she allows me to. First of all, welcome, Dr. Tinsley, to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tim and Mel, for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Awesome. Awesome. So I want to give our, our guests a little context of just some of the incredible work that you've done. So Dr. Tinsley graduated from Duquesne University with a PhD in counseling, education, and supervision. She received her MA in higher education administration and college student development from the University of Iowa. Uh, Dr. Tinsley has over 25 years working in secondary and college, university, academic, athletic, and sports environments. Um, she was the creator of the Love and Basketball Ministries, well, we, which we'll get into a little bit later, uh, and also creative of Transitions Counseling Services. We'll also get into that as well. Dr. Tinley's work has extended to working with the NFL Foundation and the NFL's Pittsburgh Steelers in particular to provide services to high school student athletes as part of the Play Smart program and academics in motion program. She assisted the NFL with their NFL player engagement transition coaching certification program, which is still continuing today. Um, Dr. Tinsley's interdisciplinary areas of counseling, research, and publications include multicultural training, organization development, which is something that I'm studying, so I'm excited to get into that a little bit, um, and spiritual and Christian counseling interventions, sports counseling, and youth, adolescent, and adult development through sports. So just a wealth of experience, a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. So um, Dr. Tinsley, we are very excited to have you on today. Um, the first question we have is, what, what, 
what um what inspired you to become a therapist where did you first uh realize that you wanted to do this work uh yes that's a great question and it happened in 2002 because my plan was not to be a therapist or a clinician my plan was to work in uh college sports um and working with athletes um uh, up until 2002, I had worked at University of Iowa in their women's athletic program. I worked at University of Pittsburgh. I worked at University of Maryland Eastern Shore. And uh, in uh, nine, nine, when 9-11 happened, I was at University of Maryland Eastern Shore. And I was also getting burned out from Division I college athletics. And so I was like, okay, I need to make a change right now. And I asked God, where do you want me to go? And he says, well, I want you to go back to Pittsburgh. I was like, Pittsburgh, really? I was just there, but it was a blessing in disguise because in 2002, I lost my brother to gun violence. And I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and it happened in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I felt very helpless not being there to protect my brother. But I also believe God had me in Pittsburgh for my own grief process because what my parents went through, what my sister went through, and what I went through were different grief experiences. So when I finally made the decision to seek counseling in Pittsburgh, there were some criteria I was looking for. I wanted somebody who looked like me. I wanted somebody who understood the Black family. I wanted somebody who could integrate spiritual and Christian perspectives. And I couldn't find that one person. And that's when God spoke to me and said, that's why I'm calling you to this field. And then in 2002, I started my PhD program in counselor education and supervision. Awesome. Awesome, Dr. Sinley. So um, and th thank you for sharing that. Um, we are currently experiencing in, in Philly, in the Philly area, just a a war uh, that we're honestly losing to gun violence. And so I want to get your thoughts on that a little bit later, um, you know, if if you're willing to just share your personal experience a little bit as a um, survivor by by proxy, right, for what happened to, you know, your brother, and also some things that, you know, that we're missing, potentially, and things we could do to, to really try to address this thing and try to stop this surge, which has felt like maybe years of gun violence. But um, I wanted to just highlight the, the your connection with sports. So, um, sports is welcome throughout your career and practice. What is your connection to sports? How, why, what's the affinity? Well, one, you know, I always question if I say former athlete or still always an athlete, but I'm a former college athlete. I played basketball in college. Um, and I was inducted into the hall of fame a few years ago at Augsburg college. Um, but while a student athlete at Augsburg, it was, it was definitely a journey. One, it was a predominantly white institution. And as a Black female, it was a transition for me. It, Augsburg was a religious affiliated institution. And so that was weaved in. And I really was trying to find myself in terms of my identity. And when I went to Augsburg, which was division three, I my goal was to transfer to a division one school uh, my junior year. And uh, when, when I had the opportunity, uh, Coach LaRue Fields, who was at the University of Minnesota, she sat me down and she said, you can transfer, but I want to I wanna lay some um, things out for you. If you transfer, you're going to lose some credits. The graduation rate for Black females at uh, University of Minnesota and Division I schools is low for transfers uh, students. Um, she also said that you're at a great institution, you're in a great major, and at that time when I graduated, 
there was no WNBA or ABL. So the only option was for me to play overseas. She says, you need to think about those options. So she put the ball back in my court and to have to make a major life decision like that, because I, it was my career. It was my identity. It was um, thinking about my future. And sometimes I don't think that that those are topics we think about in college and having to make major decisions. So I stayed at Augsburg and when I graduated, I had an opportunity to coach high school basketball and coaching. I was a different kind of coach. I, 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 of course we did the X's and O's, but before my girls could get on the court, I wanted them to go and meet their school counselor. So they had to bring back some information that they met their school counselor. I did life skills activities before getting on the court because I wanted to, them to understand who they were as a student as an athlete, but also as a cultural being, because I was at a very diverse institution. And that actually laid the foundation, my experience playing, my experience coaching, and then work recruiting student athletes at Augsburg. Um, I really said, we need to do a better job of preparing uh, student athletes for transitions, for retirement from sport, sports, understanding who they are and their identity. Sports is what we do, um, but that's not who we are. But we also know that for high performance um, sports, it is kind of embedded in the identity, but still the research has shown when you take that aspect of somebody's identity away, unless they have explored other areas, that retirement and transition process becomes very challenging. So that really laid the foundation for me to focus on not just the playing side, but also the personal development side. So that's what led me to University of Iowa. Uh, I went to University of Iowa in 1995. Uh, I started uh, my master's program, really focusing on higher education administration, but also the focus with student athletes and students of color. At that time, um, Vivian Stringer, Coach Stringer, was the uh, women's basketball coach at Iowa. She had brought in uh, the best recruiting class in the country. And so she didn't have any graduate assistantships for coaching, which was a blessing in disguise, but she wanted me to serve as their academic advisor and helping them. They were from all over, Bridgeport, Connecticut, Louisiana, Jamaica, but helping them with their transition to Iowa City, <laughs> to a predominantly white environment, and helping them to be able to manage the academic and athletic. And that really provided the foundation. So my goal was to move from working with college athletes to professional athletes, but also continuing to work with high school student athletes. So Dr. Tinsley, there's th thank you for that. So there's something that you said that um, you, your journey aligns with my journey in, in, in this field in that when I, and it's kind of interesting because you walked the path for you before I did, but still the same problem remained. When you lose a portion of your identity, especially when it's really woven into sports, something that uh, most athletes, when you talk about, I don't care which division one, two or three, whatever it might be, you've been playing sport for a good amount of your development years in your life, right? And still some of these spaces, programs, organizations, institutions still maybe now are getting better at understanding that you're going to need support with transitioning. And so I went through the same thing in 2010, right? Uh, my, my career ended abruptly before I even wanted it to or expected it to. 
And there was really no, at that time, plan with the NFL to fully transition. They were starting to get there. But, you know, you talk about a league that had been open for or been, or, you know, organization institution, essentially, had been going for 40, 50 years. And they had recognized that, oh, we have to really help these players get ready for the next part of their life. And so I think it's just interesting that that was something you saw during your coaching years that you implemented into your program. And so many coaches have gone through and coach some of the best athletes or coach, you know, athletes in general or part of institutions. And they still have not embraced the importance of that, right? They're still kind of like, you know, even in the age or right now with NIL and all the things going on now, there's still not an overwhelming sensation to develop the whole person and not just the athlete. And so I just think that's interesting. And I just wanted to highlight that because it's still a problem that we deal with today. Well, and I think because coaches, people don't see players as anything but athletes, right? That the vast majority of the time you have them on your team because they can perform a task for you. You don't see the humanistic component to it, right? Like if you did, then it'd be more Vivian Stringers who are investing in their players to make sure that they transition well, right? It'd be more Dr. Tinsley's. And it frustrates me as a person that aspires to get into coaching because I want to get into coaching as like human development, as leadership development, right? Like you want to develop the characteristics of the people that you coach so that they could go out into life and be successful is bigger than a game, you know? Um, but a lot of times I think folks are so caught up in my job is to win these games. And so for me to win these games, I have to push these players and they're not worried about the, the holistic component to it. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I really loved the Play It Smart program, Academics in Motion, and I'm consulting with the Life program is that we're trying to one, educate coaches, work with school counselors. And that was a passion of mine because when I was in high school, I never met my school counselor. All of my college process went through my coaches and school counselors are very integral. So it was important to me that we got to we got to train school counselors to understand the athlete population. We got to help coaches. Like we have study halls. Why don't we have life skills workshops in the, on the side before they go into practice or if we can integrate them together? And that's one of the reasons why I'm, I, you know, I mentioned Tim before Dwight Hollier, we work really closely together to be able to provide that with professional athletes and working with the rookies at the rookie symposium and talking about mental health and life skills, um, working with former players to help them with being mentors to current players and retired players. So I think, you know, if we can continue to educate these different constituents and chip away at the rock as some point we're going to get to, to the core and everybody's going to be on the same page now will it be in my lifetime i don't know but we got to continue to plant those seeds shout out to breakingt.com collaborate with monumentals podcast you can check out the uh, monumentals merch at www.breakingt.com they have the monumentals merch on there they have all kinds of great merchandise around sports and um they're also support mental health which is really important so Go there, check the website out, stay present, stay positive. Absolutely. And, and I'll and I'll say this. I think it will be in, in our lifetime. Um, the the I can speak about the NFL, can't speak about the other leagues, but the work that has been done over the past 10 years has been just incredible as far as the amount of support and programming that there is. 
um, marketing these programs and getting more people to take advantage of them. It's still it's still a struggle sometimes, right? Um, but even myself, as a I, I got into this work, you know, years ago with the idea that I went through my process, saw a therapist dealing with the depression that I was dealing with, as far as just losing that identity, and saw the value in it, and but wanted to become an, a therapist for current, you know, and former uh, NFL players. And um, now I'm starting to see players want to to work with me, right? Reaching out for help. And so it's it's coming. It's taking, it, it's, it's a slow process, but it's coming, you know, especially with the former players just, you know, having that guard up and, and now wanting to open up and really talk about some things and process some things. So it's coming along and, and um, you know, I'm very hopeful that we're going to see more of it and we're going to see more healing, um, uh, you know, within these, within these players, within these organizations. So it's coming for sure. I'll say that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Dr. Tinsley, one of the, one of the, one of the programs or the things you started is called the Love and Basketball Ministries. And, and the one thing is funny, every time I hear, I think about the movie Love and Basketball, right? So tell us a little bit about uh, the Love and Basketball Ministries, kind of like the, the, the components of it and why you actually started it. Absolutely. Um, so I'll go back in terms of why I started it. So in Pittsburgh, I was working with my pastor and we started the Mount Eric Counseling Center. Um, and this is at the time that I was working with Play It Smart and um, consulting and collaborating with some of the players from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And simultaneously, I was trying to get them involved in the ministry. And one person who was very inspirational and just kind of my understanding was Lamar Woodley. He was playing for the Steelers. And so we talked a lot. He had the sack attack and we, we kind of collaborated together, but we did an interview um, together and I really talked to him about what are some of the barriers of, and gaps for athletes uh, attending church, utilizing services and ministries in the church. And so we really talked about people not seeing them as a person and wanting to come in and get their praise on. And when people come in, when they come, you know, high profile athletes come into the church or anybody high profile, oh my gosh, it's so-and-so. And hey, can you help us with this ministry? Can you donate? Instead of allowing them the experience to develop their, their own praise and worship and faith. Simultaneously, I was working with the player engagement, the uh, rookie symposium. And although I was there to focus on mental health, when we were at lunch or dinner, all of the players, when we were talking, they would talk about their relationship with the higher power and relationship with God. And that's where I got this idea. We need to do a better job of training chaplains because many of the players were going to the chaplains first before coming to a clinician. So my pastor had told me that because I was working at the church, I needed to go back and strengthen my biblical and theological foundation. I was like, no, nah, I'm not going back to school. But anyway, I ended up going back to school with the seminary. And I went there to focus on sports chaplaincy. And that's what led me to really understand, um, you know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's discussions about sports and using sports to lead people to their faith. And I said, how can we bridge the gap between doing that and mental health? So that's part of the foundation for Love and Basketball Ministries. Also in seminary, we have to write a spiritual autobiography. And this is an autobiography of our life and where God had his hands on us. 
I was like, oh, that should be easy. That's a piece of cake. I'm a counselor. It's all about awareness. It was the hardest thing and the most challenging thing. Um, and I, I wanted to quit the program. And so I'm thankful for the support. But what I found is that God had his hands on me with my family. And I had some unfinished business to do with my family. My favorite movie is Love and Basketball. There was some semblance between what was going on in the movie and what was going on in my life. So when I wrote my spiritual autobiography, I titled it Love and Basketball. So then that just became the title of my ministry. My ministry is really about bridging the gap between theological, biblical, and psychological foundations, bridging the gap between faith and mental health. So I go out and do trainings with faith-based organizations, clergy, um, athletic programs, sports chaplains, any leaders, but I've also now added a coaching piece in terms of providing coaching services because not everybody wants counseling, but people do want to have support. So let's provide some coaching services um, that people can integrate that spiritual and Christian perspective and bridging the gap. And that's my love and basketball ministries. Dr. Tim, so that, that that's that is awesome. The I, I think the component that and I think it ties back into the question we that I had earlier around like, you know, just the idea that the holistic as Mal said, the seeing the whole person, um, the whole athlete, right? The flip side is to me, for me to understand and do something and make a change, I must go through my own change myself. So you talk about now having coaches go through their own process of like, you know, what I was taught it meant to be a coach, right? Yeah, leader, win championships, right? But I don't know necessarily, I haven't really understood or gone through something where I can help develop an individual, right? The whole, the whole person. So one of the things that I've been really trying to uh, do with my work at the Ladipo group is to get into different spaces, athletic departments, to work with different organizations to to teach mindfulness, right? To teach mindfulness practices to help coaches now understand that number one, I need to go through my own process and learn how to actually incorporate these things to my life, right? But then how do I now bring it to the structure of my organization? Right? How do I how do I um create tension, right? Create that tension of playing sport. But then how do I now regulate my student athletes to where when we, when they do something disappointing or when they make a mistake, they're not carrying that throughout the rest of their day, right? They're able to be fully present in the moment and then move to the next moment, right? Because that's important. That That's one of the things that we talk about that identity piece. That's where our student athletes struggle, but that's where our coaches struggle too right? They're all wrapped up in the idea of winning and, and coaching. But the other things that are important, because I worked with a university recently, and we did a survey and the coaches said, I don't have time to do the things that I do. I don't take care of myself. And there's not enough time in a day, right? And I don't even like, you know, the, the way my life is set up, like the other components of who I am, take a back seat to this part of who I am as a coach. So that's important, because you, you, you are as you do, right? Or you do as you are. So if all I do is coach and prioritize winning, that's the kind of information that I'm implementing into my players. And so that's important that, you know, the Love and Basketball Ministries, just 
also taking that faith component too and bringing it to the forefront because you're right I, I did go through that my so my <laughs> my brother and I used to go to a church in Jersey and it was a big you know it's a mega church and yeah they knew who we were they allowed us time sometimes to 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 you know get in our praise and worship and hear the word but yeah those autograph signatures were coming at some point right and you couldn't come and leave it was like you got to expect to do this autograph uh, signing, all right? You got to expect to talk about talk about the game. You got to expect to talk to the to the to the folks about what the game. And he he played for the Eagles, and I was just like, who? You know, you got to talk about what's gonna happen next year because I was there in the off season. I, you know, I stayed with him in the off season, and he was like, well, what, what are y'all looking like next year? And he's like, oh, I'm just I'm here to praise and worship. I'm here to celebrate Christ. And so yeah, that is a real thing, right? When you go into spaces the expectation of this part of your identity is the only part that I see and the only part that I want from you. So the expectation is that you bring that part every time. Yeah. And, and then shout out to Lamar Willie, you know, that's a Michigan man, you know, so yeah, yeah. I appreciate that Lamar had that connection. We get it. We get yes. it. I'll just say yes. it. I'll leave it there. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, as I'm listening to you, so both of us are trained as counselors and they've trained us to understand ourselves, the counselor as a person, the counselor as a professional. Who we are as a person doesn't stop at the door in our work as a professional and vice versa. Mm-hmm. I've taken that same concept and applied it to coaches, the coaches as a person, the coaches as a professional. So when you go into the coaching arena as a professional, who you are as a person doesn't stop at that door. Mm-hmm. And so if you have some unfinished business, it's going to spill over. So that mindfulness is going to be very important and vice versa. The athlete as a person, the athlete as a professional. And we all have wellness and we have to focus on those domains of wellness, because if we don't, it's like a Pepsi bottle. You shake that Pepsi bottle. If you take that lid off, it's going to explode. If you don't take the lid off, it's exploding internally and impacting our mental health, our emotional health, our physical health. So I appreciate that connection with the mindfulness and taking time to be mindful. Thank you. Thank you. So, Dr. Tinsley, our current series or, or, you know, I don't call it a series, but our current focus right now is to get into the emotional shape, right? We we understand that the, you know, new year, new me and all of those things getting into physical shape, right? Um, but we really have have uh, really want to focus on highlight. How do we get into mental and emotional shape? So when you think about that question, when you think about what it means to proactively and intentionally exercise wellness you talked about the dimensions of wellness so there's eight dimensions of wellness and won't i'll talk about it a little bit later but how do you conceptualize or how would you encourage our listeners to uh, address their emotional shape or their mental wellness shape absolutely so first i'll start off by saying everyone has mental health we all have mental health we all have physical health Mental illness is a diagnosable uh, illness by a trained professional. So I think the first step is to help people to understand the difference between mental health and mental illness. And we all have mental health. Our mental health is based on our wellness. So it's important to understand those domains of wellness, social, intellectual, occupational, spiritual, financial. There was a study conducted in 2013, and I know it's been 10 years, but it uh, it was by the National Institute of Mental Health. And they said that only 17% of the population that was in this study of adults 18 and older, only 17% were optimally well. 
So we have a high percentage of people who are struggling in their wellness. So if you're struggling in your wellness, that's going to impact your emotional and mental health, right? Too much stress and the cortisol can increase anxiety and depression. Too much stress. Um, during the pandemic, I did a um, educational series with a medical doctor, and she was talking about how that excess of stress and the lack of focus on those wellness models during the, the, or the wellness domains during the pandemic was increasing high blood pressure, heart disease, high cholesterol. So we have to help people to understand mind, body, and spirit go together, that Hey, you got to be mindful of your emotions, right? And pay attention to your emotions. Your emotions are real. And if you're starting to get stuck in those emotions and having excess of stress, and I will say that I know the podcast is open to all people, but especially for Black people and BIPOC, Black Indigenous people of color, we have a high percentage of high blood pressure <laughs> and heart disease. And so we chronic stress is an issue. So we have to pay attention to our wellness, which impacts our mental health. So educating, learning more about it, understanding, taking assessments to assess your own wellness and your own mental health, but understanding that it all goes together, the emotional health, the stressors, the mental health, and the physical health, as well as the spiritual health. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Tinsley. And, and, and you mentioned taking assessments. One of the, one of the uh, quick assessments that can be a foundational approach is talking about and learning about adverse childhood experiences and how it's impact us as adults, right? You talk about that high blood pressure, cholesterol, the prevalence of obesity, all of those things being sometimes being correlated or connected to your experiences as a child, your environment, if you grew up in poverty, if you grew up in abusive circumstances, if you've lost a parent, if you grew up in a single child, child home, all of those things contribute to your A score, which have a direct connection to physiological determinants of health. So yes. thank you for that. You know, just mentioning, just being proactive, right? Taking, there's things we can find online and, and you know, we want to make sure they're competent. Right. So yes. uh, alpha childhood experiences, understand your personality too, right? Your tendency to do certain things versus not doing other things. So having understandings of your personality, taking personality assessments is there, but then also just come understanding, I think, all the components of who you are and not just leaning into one aspect is Absolutely. really important. And, and I love that, you know, I think one of the things you talked about, you know, knowing your A score and the adverse childhood experience, I think today, especially coming out of this pandemic, the pandemic is a traumatic experience, right? So it's really important for all of us to be trauma informed. So coming from a trauma informed and resilient approach, people can be resilient with those uh, adverse childhood experiences in childhood, right? something can happen today as an adult that could trigger that. And so it's important to realize that even if you have experiences with adverse childhood experiences and you've been resilient, as we continue to live, whether we're experiencing gun violence, whether we're experiencing racial microaggressions or race-based traumatic stress or uh, health trauma, the pandemic, it can trigger those, those, those experiences and bring them back to surface. So it's really important to pay attention. So I always kind of describe it this way. 
if I'm talking to someone about a topic or I'm hearing something and I kind of have a twinge or a ting in my body, I have to pause and say, what was that? Because we all may have some unfinished business that we've been resilient, but now it comes to that time in today's life that you have to finish some unfinished business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I appreciate that. I just wanted to jump in real quick. I appreciate that part because like as a parent, that's right where I am, right? That like I was super resilient about traumas and like you could build a bridge and get over a lot of it. But when you're processing stuff in real time because you want to unpack it to be a good parent and partner, it's like it's like a TNT explosion, right? And, you know, I, I think you made such a great point there. And Tim, you know, she piggybacked off of what you were saying. But I just wanted to jump in there. It's like also sometimes it's unanticipated when you have to process these things, right? And so it's important to like build the practice in to just regularly do this because you don't want it to be that TNT explosion when you have to unpack 18 different things simultaneously so you could be present. That's a huge burden. That's asking a lot, right? That also means that like you may not show up in other places the same way that you would be because you're still doing so much of that mental work and like unwrapping a thing. So I just wanted to jump in there as like just as a real life example, even for myself. I thought I was doing work until I had a child. And now I'm like, oh, baby, like, you know, I, I was doing work as a as a partner, as a married person. But then you add in the element of that child, too. And it's like, OK, no, like this is the work right here. Like this is the everyday going through it to just make sure that you're in the best place possible. Yeah, I just saw, you know, um, and, and Mal, I, I'll, I'll give you credit for having me on social because I had <laughs> social for a long time. But I saw, you know, this is a random suggestion clip that Viola Davis was talking about just in relationships. Um, like the approach of engaging in, 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 I want the everyday partner, right? Yeah. Because the highs will come, but the everyday, yeah. like you said, day in and day out, the grind, the, the, you know, just the nothingness sometimes, right? Something's nothing. Sometimes in our everyday life, nothing can go on. It could just be the, the routine, the monotony of the routine. Um, but I would say adding to that, just like you said, working on so many different things at a time, it's like when you go to the gym, you work on one thing at a time, right? So when you're talking about your mental and emotional health, yeah, you can you can be intentional about, I need to address this area. Let me address this area. So it's not hitting you, boom, all at once, right? So I think that's an, that's an important point you made in that being intentional around different components or elements that are coming up. What's coming up the most? Right. So if that thing's coming up the most, that's, that's probably the most pressing thing. So if I address that thing, I'm right. starting to pay attention to that thing. What has come up in the past that, you know, right. maybe I haven't addressed. So I think that so if you take that approach to it, to what's the most prevalent and then you start addressing other things, then boom, that everything hitting at once, which creates that overwhelming anxiety driven sensation. And then you you talk about what's going to come up next. So I'm going to have to respond my my emergency, my EMS is going to come up. And so I'm going to do my, I'm going to run into my flight, flight, freeze or fawn, but I'm not going to be operating at my optimum self. And I'm not going to be operating at a regulated space. It's just going to be kind of like this emergency manage things as they come along. And I think in our community, that's one of the things we're in survival mode all the time. You know, it's, it's only when we get into a certain point of life where we start thinking about these other areas, but 
through those early years, especially growing up in poverty, we're in a, a survival mode all the time where we develop survival skills, which is important, but the other skills, uh, interpersonal relationship skills, um, finance skills, right? Resting, um, uh, developing a, a healthy lifestyle. Those things all take a back seat because we're in survival mode a lot of times in our communities. And so I think it's important that while we do have to survive, that we're also understanding that living is more important than surviving, even though it feels like survival is is op, it's, it's the primary thing I have to do. I have yeah. to live because the, the more I can live, the more I can elevate these other components of my life, then the more I can engage in understanding, okay, I have to do this thing, but I, and I'm also um, able to develop relationships. I'm also able to understand my, my functioning, right? My self-care is important to take care of myself and not you know, work 16 hours, five, seven days, five, six days a week and not rest and just, you know, just grinding all the time and just depleted. I have to put back in what I'm putting out. This is the Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. And I just wanted to jump in, sorry, really quickly, because what you mentioned is like, childhood traumas usually right like these are things that when you sit down and you really start to think about the root and i'm in this men's health group right and mental health group and what we talk about is everything goes back to childhood for the most part right like you want to trace your feeling your trauma back to the first time you remember it. and that first time is like eight six and so i really wanted to also ask dr tinsley how do we help our children as parents right like who maybe didn't learn how to manage their relationships and behaviors and traumas correctly how do we turn around and like sort of do our journey and do our work but how do we teach our children how to do this correctly so that there's less of that unpacking as they get into their 20s and 30s and 40s and you know you have people unpacking stuff from 8 10 years old 50 60 years old and so yeah I would love to get your feedback around like how do we help to uh not only model it but teach it directly to our children Absolutely. Great question. And before I answer, I want to go back and say thank you now for sharing your experiences, because here it is, Tim and I are kind of talking about things from a theoretical perspective, and you just took your personal experiences and applied it to that. And so I appreciate that. And I love what you said, Tim, is that how do you live? People may come to counseling and not have something that they find that's the problem. Sometimes people come to counseling just to say, I want to learn how to live and to move forward and to self-actualize, to, to, to grow and to be all that you can be. So sometimes when you go to counseling, it's just starting with that question, how do I live? How do I grow? And the counselor will help you to identify if there's any unfinished get business getting in the way. Um, so I, all, I just want to say, you don't always have to have a problem when you are seeking counseling. Now, how do we help our young people? I think we ought to help our young people understand emotions. Emotions are real and putting words to emotions. Um, you know, I come from this trauma-informed approach and oftentimes when somebody is acting out, we say, what's wrong with that person? I think we have to reframe, not what's wrong with the person, but what happened to them to behave this way. And sometimes people's emotions are expressed in their behaviors 
because they don't know how to communicate and put words to them. So we have to take time to help our young people understand their emotions, understand their behaviors. If we don't know what the emotions are, but we see the behaviors, helping them to be able to understand what's going on and what's happening to them. So we have to, I, I, you know, we have to understand developmentally how to assist our toddlers, our children, our adolescents with just identifying their emotions, regulating their emotions. And we as adults can model that. I know that when I am when I work with my clients, I work with um, 13 and above. So one of the things that I was doing with my middle school and my high school students was helping them to identify their emotions. I would have these emoji charts, these emotion charts, similar to the emojis on our phone. I would have them sitting on the table so we could identify. You know who picked those books up more? Were my adults. And they said, oh, I didn't know that that was the word for this emotion. And so we may have to go back and help our adults to be able to model that for our young people. I'm working with a couple of my young boys are about eight to 10 years old. So I'm working with youth a little younger. And that's the very thing we are working on, understanding why anger comes up the most, right? And then we're, 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 I'm having them practice mindfulness i'm having them practice loving kindness right so loving kindness is a is a mind it's a meditation approach right to where you start with self-love right you start with giving yourself peace you start with giving yourself kindness right and having them practice that to understand that even though a situation might come or might arise i still deserve peace and i still deserve kindness and i can still take that even in a stressful moment right having them work on breathing. So these are all the things that I as a therapist is working with. But I think it's like you said, though, we and it's tied back to the coaching and the player relationship. If the parent hasn't done the work of understand that these are important components that I have to do for myself in order to teach my child, then it's going to stay only in the counseling um, in the counseling session. Like, let's say if I'm working with a kid, so I have to bring a parent in and teach them these things that I'm teaching them their, their child, because I need you to continue that outside of that's the only way we're going to see change. Right. I need you to continue to remind them of their daily affirmations. Right. I need you to continue to remind them of the skills of their right to choose to engage in something that happens in school or not. So those are the components that we're working on. So it is a holistic approach. Right. It, it, but it does. And now for our listeners, I will say it does start with number one, having the patience to have conversations with your children beyond right, wrong kind of approaches to life, right? Beyond addressing things that come up, something that happens, right? Beyond giving chores and and and, and the, the respect, like respect me, these are what you can do. This. No, okay, that's one component. I need you to start developing the emotional conversations, right? Um, one of the things that that's that's I've been doing a couple of different podcasts and people have been asking me, how do we get our our how do we like uh, get our young black boys to be more vulnerable? Right. And I said, OK, we need to be un we need to understand there's protective factors, honestly. Right. There's protective factors in why our kids don't show emotions. Number one, they've been misinformed a lot of times. Let's start there by us, the parents. 
Okay, so we take that approach off the table as, as far as misinforming them, as far as don't show any, you know, don't cry, right? When you cry, you you get punished for crying or when you express your emotions, you get punished for it. So if we stop doing that, that's one component. And the world, our culture and environment have to be able to take care of our boys, uh, our kids, not just our boys, but our kids' emotions, right? So when our kids express emotions, there has to be an adult or a system that's going to be able to embrace and take care of them. Otherwise, yeah. when they don't, when they express that emotion it is met with some type of adverse experience, they're not going to do it. They're going to so, say, that's not the thing to do. So right there, bro, I want to make a point here because yeah. I feel like as men, we use emotions and emotional as a weapon to make other men shut up, right? To not process, don't do the thing. I think before we even can get to the point where our young men can process emotions, we as grown men have to allow the space for emotions to exist, right? As men, we love running, a, women are emotional. Yeah, you emotional, you acting like a woman. Only women, yeah, you acting like a woman. What does that mean, bro? I live in my emotions. I emote majorly, right? Like that's a part of being a human being. That's the humanistic experience is to have emotions. And so we have to stop like damn near criminalizing emotions and allow people to process them so that they can grow and evolve and become better people, right? That like, I don't know, y'all have mentioned emotions a number of times. And I was like, okay, I would love to hear your, both of your perspectives on like, that piece to this too because again you add in the athletic component and now you definitely can't show no emotions the only time you could cry is when you win a super a championship or you blow your knee out and you can't move anymore right and so i would love to hear again you know how do we really push the adults towards that learning too because it's almost impossible for the young people to get there until we own that process as well right Amen, amen to what you both said, because I'm I'm like, yes, we need to talk about this because there is no research that I have ever seen that says that anger is um, gender uh, defined, right? We all have emotions and I think we have to change the narrative. It's the culture. We are in the culture, we, but we don't have to be the culture and we have to help everyone especially men understand that it is okay to express your emotion, have the space and give yourself grace to have those emotions, right? So changing the narrative. Um, there's, I don't know if you all have ever seen, it's, going, it's been around on um, social media. It's a picture of a young man as a child with their parent. And then that person grown up as a man with their significant other. As a child, it says dry those tears, don't show no emotions. As an adult, it shows the woman, the, the significant other, the wife saying, why don't you show your emotions? I just want you to talk to me. So what happens early on impacts how that person, now let's just say that's with their significant other, but let's just say this is a girl dad. So now what are you modeling to your young daughters about expressing emotions? I think over the past few years, um, we gave space to men shedding a tear and crying when Kobe was killed, when George Floyd was killed, 
when Armad Arbery was killed. And I think that we really started to give some space and some dedicated space and private space for men to express these emotions. And I think it's we have to talk about anger is real. It's a secondary emotion, what's behind the emotions, but also just like you said, Tim, being mindful of it. How do you work through it? How do you process it? Because again, if as adults, we don't model this for our young children, they're going to grow into having these same patterns of behavior in their relationships at work, in their relationship with their significant others and with family members. This is the Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. I like to understand the bigger picture of where these kind of these tenants and these approaches to these philosophies came from, right? At, you know, I, I think generationally, you know, a lot of our stuff does come back from the oppression we receive as a, as a generation, right? A lot of stuff comes from slavery, right? So when you talk about, you know, at some point we stop crying, right? We're in bondage and at some point we stop crying and we develop this hard exterior, right? And it also then infiltrated internally. And so then at some point we recognize that, especially as men, you know, sharing emotions, that's that's not going to get it done, right? Because you have to prioritize all of these other things. You have to prioritize being a provider. You have to prioritize showing up and and, and, and presenting as strong and, and all of these other things because, you know, those things were, were stripped away from you at some point. So you tried to take it back and as far as like taking that quote unquote manhood back as far as men, right? But then what did we lose in, 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 and what do we sacrifice? We sacrifice the other aspect of what it means to be a human being, which is connecting, which is showing emotions and being taken, taking care of each other, right? We like to provide, but we don't really know what it means to take care. And I think that's important to understand that we have to start learning how to take care and not just providing. Providing isn't just taking care, right? It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a part of it. But there's these other components. It's managing and creating space for each other, right? So Mal and I, we say, I love you, bro. That's regular. That's just the thing we say to each other, right? And I think some men are starting to embrace that. But they're still, as you were talking about the internet and Dr. Tinsley, I was thinking about the ultimate kind of like um, caster, the, the Jordan cry face. I still, I think about that to this day. Mal and Jordan cried. And he's forever a main. Joel and, like, and B crying. Losing, Joel and B crying when they in the Toronto, in bro. Of them, yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, if I have the messaging, I'm not going to show emotions because that's what they take. Tyrese so, crying. Yeah. Right. So what is that about? Right. So we said we want we want our men in our we want our boys to be more emotional. We want our men to share and, and be able to cry. But then like the environment when they do it, we have to take care of it. We have mm. to take care of it because. That messaging of when you when you cry, you show that emotion. When you show, you know, other than anger, because we're known black men, we're known for anger, right? So that's oh, the angry black, right? But when we oh. show love, when we show care, when we show compassion, those things have to be met with care. That's right. really important. That because that's the only way we'll start to change the narrative and people will feel comfortable and safe with sharing those other aspects of their emotions. Yeah. And so um, not to pivot too hard away from what we were talking about now, but Dr. Tinsley, I would love to connect with you about how do we also begin to talk with our young people about spirituality, right? That like, that is 
a component of at least my evolution or growth is like that belief in something outside of myself, that belief in something larger, right? Like I don't go to church. I don't believe necessarily in like religion per se, but like spirituality is a big piece of what I believe in. And it's a conversation my partner and I have had about what do we tell our son MJ and like, how do we have that conversation with him? And so we'd love to hear your perspective and Tim, of course, yours as well around like, how do we have those conversations, right? Without necessarily burdening our children with our thoughts right that like it's easy for me to say I go to church you go to church right but like how do we build that sort of autonomy within them to figure out their own pathway yeah I think you just said you know the first thing is I think it's important for people to understand the difference between being spiritual being religious we have in our country some people who are spiritual and not religious we have people that are religious, not uh, spiritual. We have people that are both and people that are neither, right? But being spiritual is being connected and gaining meaning about one's life experiences from something higher than them, right? Um, and then religious is denominational and having connection to religion. I think part of it is with our young people, it comes to what we say. I think it's important if you're reading books that might bring in this giving meaning for, for life uh, um, and, and just talking about it and planting the seeds. Um, I think it's really important to help our young people kind of think about who they are in relation to something bigger than them, right? There's a movie, uh, I'm trying to think of that movie um, that came out during the pandemic, Soul. Did you all see that movie, Soul? Right? It yeah, wasn't religious, yeah. but it was spiritual and finding connection with something. So I'm a, I'm a believer using pop culture, using books, having conversations, but we as adults also have to be clear on where we are in our spirituality and our religion and what that means to be able to transfer that to our young people. Yeah, Dr. Tinsley. In, in addition to that, one of the things that um, I, I definitely would say is um, having more of a conversation around a bigger picture, right? Like you said, that, that spiritual conversation around your higher power, understanding that you, especially, you know, when you talk about young people, very, you know, very centered around themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So more conversations around your connection to, to family, more conversations around your connection to, to community, more conversations around your connecting to the world, and then more conversations around understanding that your being is connected to something else, something higher. That's right. how we got here, right? So uh, I think that's 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 how you start to develop you develop that conversation around showing young people their connection mm -hmm. to things that are outside of themselves, mm -hmm. and then ultimately having that spiritual component around intuition, around you know like around feelings, right? Around connection. Mm -hmm. That that's that's spirituality right there. Your connection to things that things and, and things that you can and can't see mm -hmm. right so yeah, operating absolutely. and understanding what are the things you can't see and feel but you know are there that's right that's well, your spirituality just kind of existing but you not mm -hmm. being understanding that that's actually your spirituality right i love that point too because it it creates that environment in which you it's, it's less about the individual component right and like we got into a whole show about like our individual needs versus the needs of the collective and in too many instances, 
our Malcolm's individual need is supposed to outweigh the collective need of all other people. And, you know, a lot of that comes from the fact that many times those folks weren't told, hey, you're you're a part of something larger, right? Like you by yourself aren't the king of the world, right? Like I think we need to sort of break that down to our children too, to like, yes, you're special. Like, yes, we love you, but you're also one of several billion people on this planet, right? And so like our need to be able to coexist needs to be foundationally steeped in something and for me, it, it has been spirituality, right? That like, I believe that I, there is something larger. I feel a connection to the earth and the environment around me. Um, and, and it's caused me to interact with people and nature and animals differently because I see the holistic sort of picture of you. Um, and so, yeah, man, I, I can't, well, I could wait. He's still six months old, right? So it's time to have this conversation with MJ. But, you know, I, I'm excited because I remember my dad talking to me about spirituality and the importance of it and how it helped shape my whole understanding of myself and so you know already see components of mj uh, me and mj now so i know the time will come to have that conversation and i feel like i'm in a good space to have it yeah yeah so so dr tinsley um the last question and and, and one go back to something that i mentioned earlier around just the, the the gun violence and i think this is a component of connection as well so we're experiencing in Philly just a horrific um, gun violence pandemic, right? It's just, you know, I read my timeline and just so many instances last night alone of just awful situations. Um, and, and a lot of times when we're when we're looking at these images and things like that, it is our young people, right? It is our young people. And it's not just our teenagers, it's our young adults, but it's this combination, this age between let's say 24 and and as low as 13, 14, right? So what are some things that, you know, and I know you, you, you know, you had a loss of experience from gun violence. So just talk a little bit about some things just for our parents and our community that we can start to, we can start to chip away because the, you know, the saying is, well, how the guns get there's about the guns, right? I will argue that, yeah, that's one component, but it's about the decision making and it's about the environment that gets that young person to feel like that is the way now. That is a way of life. Right. So I just wanted to just talk a little bit about, you know, if you're open to a sharing your experience and, and, and your process and then what our parents in our community can really start to do to chip away at this thing. Absolutely. You know, you talked about decision making. We've been talking about emotional regular emotions and emotional regulation. If we can teach people how to regulate their emotions and make good decisions and not utilizing guns to solve their problem or to intentionally hurt someone else. And there's so many, so much there to unpack. I know with my my brother's experience because we have people in Philadelphia, we had people in Pittsburgh with this experience. My brother was in his apartment with his girlfriend, minding their own business. They were watching TV and there was shooting going on outside and he was hit by a stray bullet. So we have people that have experienced gun violence by being at the right place at the wrong time. You know, I don't wanna say the wrong place because people are where they're supposed to be. But we have to talk about emotional regulation and we have to talk about uh, decision making. We have to really continue to advocate with policies locally, statewide, fe federally, uh, or at the federal level. But 
I, I guess I want to focus on the residuals after a loss. First, I believe and come from this perspective that no one person's grief is like another person's grief. And we cannot tie everybody's grief into one night neat package. Everybody goes through their own grief process. Two, we have to understand. So um, I just had a meeting with my counseling center staff. And one of the topics that we want to focus on is the grief of siblings, because we really talk about the grief of parents, but we have to understand everybody experiences grief, children, adolescents, and adults. So really targeting what it might be for siblings in addition to parents and other family members. We have to help people to understand there's no timeline on grief. So even for me that it's been 21 years, the anniversary was last month and I started to feel all of the grief and the pain of the grief that I experienced when it was 2002, but it doesn't mean that I'm stuck in that grief, right? It comes in waves. And so it comes and not having to go through that process alone. And I, I think we have to educate people who are trying to be support systems by not putting their beliefs and biases about a person's grief process. Oh, you're still experiencing that? When are you going to get through that? Or putting their foot in the mouth and saying something that's not helpful. So I, I come from, if you can't help them, at least don't hurt them, right? And sometimes you may just have to listen, but we have to chip away at this gun violence from many perspectives. So policy, we have to start with this whole emotional regulation and anger management and why, you know, and then we also have to really look at the the, the results and the residuals when somebody experiences gun violence and understand people's family changes. My whole family dynamic changed, the dynamic between my mom and my dad, my mom and my, my sister and I, because it impacted all of us in a different way. And to be understanding of that and recognize that that may happen. The rate as we, at which we're experiencing this has created, and this is the danger the other aspects of this is just created a kind of expectation to where we're numbing ourselves to, to this level. And I think that's, that's a dangerous space for us to be in because, you know, it feels like we're saying the thing, but then something else happens. So there's no time to really grieve, right? There's no time to grieve, honestly, because I might lose a family person and then, you know, that energy and, and that support system comes up, but then in that same night, four or five people lost somebody else. And so now the support services that are in place to help these things, they're kind of like, they're extended, right? They're beyond what they can do. So the process of grieving, like the whole idea of like mourning, you know, funeral, like I, I don't know what the funeral home situations look like right now, because there's so many people who are passing at a rate, right? There's no closure because police can't, do proper investigations because a new case comes up. And so it pushes a previous case, maybe from last year, down the road because the resources are, are limited. And so, like you, yeah, like you said, we have to address these things with so many different components. And, and it's just, I, I do believe in the foundation is teaching our young people how to regulate their emotions, teaching them about their emotions, how to regulate their emotions, right? And how to find different ways to, to solve problems. Um, yeah. the, these, these things do not just happen overnight. These things are accumulation that have been building for years. And so this is the actual action, the end result. I definitely agree with that.
Tim, you said something that's so key and stood out. People are numbing themselves to the gun violence. I was working with a 16-year-old Black female. In the school district that she's in, there was just in a matter of two weeks, a number of deaths of young people to gun violence. She lost her grandfather. She was very close to. So she was coming in for grief counseling. When I asked her to try and talk about what it's like for her, you know what she said? Oh, it's just regular. I said, regular? Tell me what you mean. It's just regular. This is just what happens. This is regular. And we have to be creative of trying to find out how our young people are feeling. I knew she listened to music all the time. So she couldn't verbally communicate in the session how she was feeling. So I asked her to put a playlist for me of songs that identified how she felt. She did it, sent it to me. And what I heard in the songs versus what she said is regular, two different things. And yeah. so people experience grief and loss and mourning. It's not regular. And we have to find a way to get in there and help people identify their feelings and process their feelings. Because if not, just like Mal said, that TNT explosion, that Pepsi bottle explosion is going to happen at some point. Well, you mentioned the the music, right? And then uh, Tim mentioned the normalization. Drill music is literally rap music about people getting shot and killed, right? That like really happened. And so it is is easy to numb yourself when that's all you're surrounded by, right? That like most of the black media is BMF is, is uh, I'll forget the other one that's about dealing cocaine, but it's all about dealing cocaine and shooting people and dying. And so if that's all you see, and then you go outside and that's all you see, you step in your house and maybe you don't have the best home environment and you potentially see that as well. It's like, how can you not become numb to it, right? Like if you're exposed to something damn near 24 seven, it's almost a natural sort of instinct to say, hey, listen, for me to survive, I can't react to this every single time. I've got to, I got to distance myself, right? And, you know, I, I've been in that space of being numb um, and then transitioning back out of it is, it's a hard journey. But, you know, I think, Tim, what you said, I, I, I reiterate and echo that, like, we have also have to stop looking at, like, the end result of outcomes and look at the root causes, right? Like, what is causing the outcome, right? That like, there are so many things that go into a person picking up a gun and shooting somebody else that like schools, housing, job, like there's so much stuff, socioeconomic components that go into play that we conveniently sort of ignore and just look at the outcome and say, hey, black on black violence is out of control. We need more cops. We can't take a little piece and, and conveniently use it to fit our agenda, right? Like we got to look at the whole picture. Um, and so definitely, Tim and, and Dr. Tinsley, I appreciate your perspectives there. Thank you, Dr. Tinsley. So we just wanted, so we're going to wrap up. Want to um, just get a sense of, you know, what's what's coming up for you? What's going on? What are you excited about? Anything we want to share with our listeners that, you know, they can tap into and how they can get in touch with you and, and you know, your organization? So in two weeks, the American Counseling Association annual conference is happening in Toronto. And what I like about that is, hearing about new techniques, going to sessions, strengthening what I know and strength and adding to my skill set, but also c collaborating and seeing my peers because, you know, a year later, all of us have been through something and just being able to talk to our peers, my peers and rejuvenate. 
Um, we talked about self-care earlier, and even the helping professional needs to have self-care, and this conference will allow me to rejuvenate. And I always tell those I work with, be careful when I come back, because I'm going to be ready to go. Um, but I'm doing um, a number of workshops with churches on bridging the gap between faith and mental health. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm going to be uh, doing a webinar with my pastor on uh, just really talking about gender identity and counseling and ministry in the church on gender identity and sexual identity. Um, so that's coming up. But if anybody wants to get in contact with me, I have the Love and Basketball Ministries Facebook page. I am on Instagram for my name, Dr. Tanya Tinsley, and also uh, Love and Basketball Ministries. I'm on LinkedIn. If anybody you know has questions or want to talk or email me, please do T Tinsley at transitionsaalp.com. And I am also going to be doing a student athlete leadership conference in April in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So just some good things coming up. Awesome, Dr. Sinsley. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you. We love you. And just, you know, excited for all the things that you're doing. Please reach out to Dr. Tinsley. Um, the times I've connected with Dr. Tinsley, I've just been amazed by, you know, her, her wealth of knowledge, her insight, her, her skills, and just the work that she's doing. So reach out to Dr. Tinsley, you know, if, if these some of these conversations has sparked anything inside of you that means that something needs to be, you know, connected. You need some support somewhere within some of the things that we talked about today. So thank you so much, Dr. Tinsley, for joining and us. We appreciate it. Thank you both for having me. I've enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much. Hold on, Tim, because you you on the road, man. You on a show every two days. So so what you got going on, brother? <laughs> Yeah, I've been doing a couple of different podcasts, actually. Uh, so I'm actually going to get ready to film another one today, the Let's Rap podcast. I'll be at Villanova University on the 31st for their Villanova Black Alumni Organization. They're doing a uh, one-day summit on mental health. So I'll be speaking there. The Ladipo Group is just, you know, we're working. We're going to be in a lot of different spaces in the community. So check out our page. You know, we're, we're trying to, again, get into those spaces, working with athletic departments, trying to get on colleges, college campuses to provide that support to, um, to, you know, Black alumni, Black students, trying to make sure that the mental health services that they need are, are competent and can get, you know, those students what they need and staff as well, faculty as well. So just really working, grinding. I would have loved, I was looking at the conference, Dr. Tinsley, but um, I'm in the, in the middle of this program. <laughs> I'll be writing, Matt. I'll be writing a, uh, an exam to, to, to continue my doctoral journey. So that's what I'll be doing over the next month. So I'm excited, busy uh, working with my clients and just, you know, staying engaged in this space and just continue to be an advocate for mental wellness. Um, yeah, when Dr. we get Sinsley, through all yeah. of this, we're about to work on an article too. Yeah, so. there, you yeah. <laughs> there you go. I love it, man. Yeah, just excited to continue this journey with Tim as always. Um, Dr. Tinsley, thank you so much for coming on today and just being transparent, right? That like this, this show is about transparency. I don't know how else people can listen and grow if you aren't being honest, right? Truthful, transparent, forthright in your feelings, emotions. Um, and, and thank you all for also bringing this around to talking about emotions, right? And, and the fact that like we can't run away from our emotions we have to own them. We have to own the fact that like we all emote. That's not just a woman thing. And that's not just a child thing, right? That like we all emote. Um, and it's about learning how to control and regulate them in a timely manner so that we can have the best life possible. Um, and so again, Dr. Tinsley, thank you so much. 
Tim, man, we, we wrapping up another one. Um, we going into a whole new season here soon. And, you know, it's just exciting to continue this journey with you, man. As always, I love you, my brother. Uh, Dr. Tinsley, I love you too. It's a pleasure to meet love you. you. Um, yes. I, I'm, I'm so grateful to, to now have you a part of the Mind Your Mentals uh, ecosphere and, you know, anything that you have going on that you want us to share on our platforms, please feel free to share it with us as well. Okay. I will. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Brother man, Tim. So any last words before we log out? Nah, just, you know, continue to stay, stay present, stay positive. Love you too, Mal. And uh, to our listeners, we love you too. And, you yeah, know, continue to stay present and stay positive. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. Like Tim said, stay present, stay positive. Peace. Thank you as always for listening to an episode of Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can always contact us through our Gmail account at mindyourmentalspodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us through our website, mindyourmentals.com. That's M-I-N-D-Y-A-M-E-N-T-A-L-S.com. Also, please make sure to follow us on all of our social media pages. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn at Mind Your Mentals Podcast featuring Tim and Mal. On Twitter at Mind underscore Ya, that's Y-A underscore Mentals. And on Instagram at M-Y-M Podcast. As always, we really appreciate you. Stay present, stay positive, stay focused on your mental health. And if you ever need anything from us, don't hesitate to reach out.